action. While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Barrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Back to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508 996 0500. Again, at 9 o'clock, New Bedford City Councilor at Large Ian Abreu is going to join us. Um, so he's going to respond to Mayor Mitchell's State of the City address. Or just talk to us. Uh, uh, just talk to us about it and some of the things that were said um, in it. And looking forward to joining, looking forward to talking with Councilor Abreu. Until then, I can take your calls. And take your app chat messages, but you can call me at 508-996-0500 or if you have the WBSM app. If you don't have it, you should download it. And, um, and, uh, send us a message on the WBSM app. So, um, I was at the Bristol County House of Correction today. Um, uh, Bristol County, you, you may have heard it. If you haven't, the podcast is available, um, on the app, anywhere podcasts are offered. I spoke with Bristol County Sheriff Paul Haro, um, who has had quite a few media, media availabilities in his, uh, early months as the Bristol County Sheriff. But one of them was regarding the jail, uh, standoff that happened. Um, and before you say, why don't you call it a riot? I, I call it a riot. I don't care. It's fine. Call, call it a riot. So, um, just do it. Just do it. Call it a riot. Um, uh, but I'm not going to. Um, if you want to tell me why it's a riot too, give me a call. 508-996-0500. That's how you can join us this evening. So, um, since, uh, in the, in the couple weeks leading to that standoff, uh, we've had Sheriff Rowan to talk more about the incident. He released pictures, I think the very next day. Or maybe a couple days later, um, on the condition of the cell unit uh, of the uh, the housing units uh, GA and GB um, that were the where these where these uh, um, agitating inmates the the inmates that were the agitators of this incident that's where they were held in GA and GB and I believe it was GB was the one that was totally 
absolutely trash. You saw some pictures. You can check it out on WBSM.com. A look inside the units. I got a closer look. Um, I, you know, I, I'd been, they lot us in the units. And so I went in. It is trash. It's pretty gross. Uh, some of the windows are broken. Um, they said it's a between a hundred thousand and two hundred thousand dollar damage, damages. There's just stuff all over the place. There isn't like, uh, there isn't like a half a, half a foot of flooring that isn't that doesn't have some sort of debris or or uh, paper towels or whatever, and there's just stuff hanging from the ceiling. It is it is quite a mess. It, it is pretty bad. The other unit in GA, which was also the subject of this um, of this incident, but less to a lesser degree, was actually pretty clean. Um, so in the GA unit, we got to walk in. Uh, I mean, the GB unit. We got to walk in and there was, we couldn't go beyond a certain perimeter because, uh, you know, it was basically, you know, this special investigation still has to, that's an active crime scene. Special investigation still has to do their thing. And, um, and so we just were able to take some pictures in GB. It was pretty clean. So they let us walk wherever we wanted in that unit. It was empty. I got to take some pictures of the cells and all that stuff. And, uh, it was a lot more, um, it was a lot more open. So he wanted to show us, uh, I think for the sake of transparency, he invited members of the media. Um, and just about, you know, I was there for WBSM, but just about every single media outlet in the, in the, in the greater New Bedford and even some in Boston. Every single media outlet in the Boston market was there. They were, they were represented, right? And so, and so, um, there was a lot of people and, you know, people wanted to take a look inside, be inside, um, report on it. And so he had talked more about the incident. Like he had said before, one of the reasons he wanted to move people is because, um, one of the reasons he had wanted to move people was because um was uh was because he wanted to put some uh, lo- uh toilets in the cells and locks on the doors. He has a plan to close A Street. The plan is to the one of the reasons they can't house uh, certain members of certain uh Ash- the, one of the reasons A Street still exists, right? Basically, um as an, an active prison or an active jail, the oldest operating jail in the country. Right. One of the reasons it operates as the oldest operating jail in the country is because there are about 96 or so inmates that are being held there. And a lot of them have to be held in single cells for certain reasons, certain considerations, whether it be a mental health uh, consideration or whether it be some type of gang affiliation. They have to be uh, they have to be they have to have single cell accommodations, whereas most uh, other, um, most other inmates have, you know, the double, the double bunked, uh, the double bunk cells. So they have to have the single cells. But one of the things that they can do in Dartmouth is to, um, you know, put locks on the doors in order to put locks on the doors in order to be able to have that single cell accommodation. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of funny. He said that when this when this jail was built, I think he said it was in the 80s. When this jail was built, it was built by a contractor who had built colleges. 
who had built college like dormitories and college campuses. And he said that they basically wanted like a college campus feel to it. Right. For some reason. And so they made it like a dormitory style where I don't know how many of you had stayed in a college dorm. But when you're like stay in the freshman when you stay in the freshman dorms or whatever, usually it's the freshman dorms um, or the, you know, like the low the lower class dorms. They are, they've got the, you know, they've got the usually two people to a room and then there's a common bathroom, right? There's a common area bathroom where uh, everybody uses, you know, a common shower and all of that where everybody uses that. But they, in order to put the locks in the doors to make the single cell accommodation, they also need to have toilets in their cells. Um, he had talked about how... uh Basically, you cannot have a lock on the door without toilets in the cells. It's a violation. He said he talked about a court case, I think, believe in Massachusetts, said it was a violation of the Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment, if you don't put a toilet in a cell with the doors locked because, um, you know, what if people have to go to the bathroom at night, right? And they're locked in for eight hours or whatever. He said it's a violation of their Eighth Amendment right, which I actually agree with. The sheriff agrees with. I think it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty fair reading of the Eighth Amendments. I think it's a pretty fair reading of the Eighth Amendment. So, um, uh, so, so they they said they're going to be able to with these units that they want to convert for Astry. They're going to be able to convert them. Uh, they're going to be able to convert uh, two units, two or three units using the canteen money that they have, right? So they have $1.6 million that they've made from their canteen, which is, you know, uh, if you're familiar with a jail canteen, it's like goods that you can buy basically in the, in the jail, uh, certain foods and things like that. And so they said they have $1.6 million in their budget, which should cover the cost of putting locks and toilets uh, on in the, uh, in the cells of a few units, not all the units, but a few units, in order to make them single-cell accommodations and move people from Astreet to Dartmouth and close the Astreet Jail. And from there, so the state can do whatever they want with the Astreet Jail. Um, it's the state's property. They can do what they want with it. I think tear it down, build housing, uh, frankly. Um, I, don't, I think it's a legacy we can move on from. Uh, I know it's an oldest operating jail and all that, but I think it's a legacy we can move on from. So, um, so, uh, but anyway, he said one of the reasons they're moving is because they don't want to go somewhere with locked doors, right? They don't want to go somewhere with locked doors. They protested that and they started you know, acting in a, or 20 or so of them that they identified started acting in a, in a very racuous manner. And that's how that unit GB ended up being trashed. That was the response to not wanting the move and not wanting to be put in locked door cells. Now you talked about this and it makes a lot of sense that it doesn't really make sense to not have, to have a jail like that where there aren't locked doors, right? Aren't locked cells. Um, especially when you consider he listed some of the crimes that some of these inmates, uh, some of these inmates had been on trial for. Everybody in this, in these units had been, uh, are people awaiting trial, by the way. Uh, but he had talked about some of them who were frequent flyers in the, uh, in the system and some of them had been charged, uh, were awaiting trial on some serious crimes. Some murders, uh, some fentanyl trafficking, cocaine trafficking, uh, those all carry some pretty hefty mandatory minimum sentences.
So, um, so he said that this is a problem that's actually unique to the Bristol County Sheriff's uh, Department. He said when he's when he spoke, there's 13 sheriffs. There are 13 sheriff's departments, right? So 13 county sheriffs in the or regional sheriffs in all of the Commonwealth, and they're all tasked with running j- the the local jail systems of their region, right? From Western Mass all the way down to the Cape. And he said 50 something percent of the jails in Dartmouth do not have locks on the doors, which he said doesn't make any sense. And I think most people agree. It doesn't make any sense. It's not like a feasible way to, it's not like a feasible way to run a, uh, a jail. And he said that it's a problem that's unique to Bristol County because none of the other 13 county, um, county sheriffs or regional sheriffs in the Commonwealth have this specific issue where most of their cells or even any of their cells don't have locks on doors. So it's not something that he's, you know, it's not something when he's he's lobbying the state for more money to put locks on all the doors throughout the Dartmouth jail. But he said it's a problem that's just unique to Bristol County. So it's something that should he said should be prioritized and he thinks can be prioritized. So with respect to the incident, right? There were some state reps there today. Tony Gabral was there uh, from New Bedford. Carol Doherty, state rep from Taunton, who I've had on the show uh, a few times. And uh, Adam, Rep. Adam Scanlon, who's the state rep for North Attleboro, also in Bristol County, of course. And so they were there. And then there was a general counsel who was there on behalf of the Senate Judiciary Committee, um, which Rep. Scanlon sits on. Rep. Hendricks and Rep. Markey also sit on it as well. Um, he had invited the chair of the judiciary, Mike Day. He couldn't make it. He sent the he sent the staffer, the uh, the general counsel from the uh, the state house judiciary committee there um, to to sort of observe and, and hear the sheriff hear the sheriff out uh, on this. So after he shows he shows us the units and then. We, you know, we got to look around uh, at everything in the in in the really trash cell, and there was one that wasn't that bad. And then he brought us back to the um, they have sort of a press conference room, uh, which is off, which is you know not behind the secured because he took us beyond the secured perimeter, which you know it requires a little bit of um, uh, security, you know, security checks and stuff like that, and to check in our equipment if we had cameras and all that stuff, and have our licenses and pre-register. But um, then we went outside this back outside the secure perimeter to the, the press room, and uh, that's where he had presented to us the video. It was a two and a half minute video, obviously not a video of the whole incident or even you know the whole response to the incident, but it was a particular thing he thought was important about uh, how everything went down, and he had said. This is actually corrections. Um, just pull up the. I think I'd written down the quote. Um, I have my. Uh, I have my. I had my voice recorder, but I just I didn't upload the didn't upload the footage from it. Unfortunately, the voice recorder. So he had said, "This is corrections at its finest," because basically um, he'd said that it was a very. The way that this whole thing was resolved was very peaceful and um, 
very orderly, which actually from the observations I saw, it was. Um, so what they showed was the first clip was a, um, was, uh, you know, the, the unit, the, um, the, you know, essentially like a SWAT unit that went in, you know, they had had, they were all geared up. They were all kitted out in their gear. They, I think there's a picture of it on WBSM.com, Hero standing in the, and the unit going in. I think there's a picture of it on WBSM.com, but they're walking in and then they show a clip of everybody getting taken out. Now there's some gas in there. Uh, there's some, uh, there's some, you can see the, the sort of the, the, uh, the gas that's in the air and that is, uh, CS gas, which he says is an irritant. Um, it's like, uh, Tabasco. He called it, what do you, what do you compare it to? Uh, he compared CS gas to, um, he said it's an irritant. He said it's an irritant. He says it's like getting a, like a, like a whole, um, spoonful of Tabasco sauce, basically. So there were some inmates that were coughing and all that on their way out. Obviously, the correctional officers were wearing masks to protect themselves from the, um, from the, from the, the, the gaseous, um, irritant. And so they were walking. So they were all, what I saw was obviously it was in that trash unit. The unit was trashed and they were all, all the COs were basically, you know, holding people by the arm and calmly walking them out of the building. Uh, they were all, it was, there was zero signs of resistance, um, from anybody. There were zero signs of resistance. There wasn't a lot of yelling or vacuousness. There wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't any sort of physical, uh, there wasn't any sort of physical or even verbal confrontation between the officers and the inmates that were being brought out and they were all in cuffs um so it was pretty quiet it was pretty orderly and so one of the things that he he had pointed out was because he had i think he had compared it last time to uh an incident that happened in the ice um in the ice uh um, standoff between the ICE uh, detainees in 2020 and the sheriff's office where there was a guy who said, I can't get on my knees. I've got bad knees. My knees hurt. And, and then, you know, eventually he got swept down uh, by the officers. He got his face pressed against the the fence. And then uh, what I, you know, there's point of contention. Sheriff Hodgson felt a different way about how, you know, the how this, how this looked. Um, but what I saw it looked like a, an officer was walking a dog up to the guy's face um, near the uh, who was pressed up against the um, who was pressed up against the fence. And he said he could have put him backwards. There were other ways to resolve that situation. They didn't want to do it that way. Um, he had, you know, he had said that was the that was one of the things that he had taken a point of contention with. He had pointed out that there was a guy, and I saw it. There was a guy with multiple handcuffs behind his back. So he had had he had had one cuff. He had had a cuff. Uh, he had so he had a cuff. So he had his hands behind his back, uh, really to his sides, and a cuff was linked to a cuff that was linked to a cuff that was linked to his other that was linked to his, the other side of you know his other his left and right arm. So there was a series of cuffs linking it. And the reason he said is because that person has uh, bad shoulders. He has a shoulder issue, right? And so he said instead of um, instead of just extending his arms behind his back. And making and potentially making that shoulder problem, exacerbating his shoulder problem, he said it was a very you know it was very calmly resolved 
by the corrections officers, you know, putting the uh, uh, putting those uh, handcuffs, cuffing the handcuffs together and walking that guy out. Sheriff Rowe said this is corrections at its finest. That's how he defined it. This is corrections at its finest. I was very proud of the way that this was done. He had said there's a lot of criticisms about how he had he had handled the situation from his detractors because they said he should have brought in the dogs. He should have went in, you know, he should have went in full throttle immediately. He should have did this. He waited. He waited too long. And he said, no, we waited just the right amount of time because we allowed the situation to subside. We were able to go in. We were able to show force, show force, but not use force. So they were able to show the force they had, the overwhelming force they had against the inmates. Said they didn't have to use force against the inmates. And that was a lot that allowed them to be uh, calmly escorted out that was his take on the situation that's what he had said to us 508-996-0500 let's go to the phones good evening yeah good evening marcus how's it going oh it's going i know you want to talk about the house of corrections but what about the crime in the city here what about the it? shootings what about it and the, and the drug dealing uh, and then i heard on your radio station that police chief Oliveira uh, applied for a, a chief job in falmouth yeah, but he didn't make the he didn't make the list. I I had heard that as well. I, I like yeah. Chief Oliveira a lot. I think he's a great guy. By the yeah, way, he's a great guy. What does yeah. that tell you when he applies for a police chief elsewhere? Wants another job. Uh, wants to go uh, well, change the scenery. More to than another job. He doesn't want to be micromanaged. I can't speak to <laughs> no. I can't speak to the specific can, reasons he wants to go. He, he hasn't well, said I'm them. just saying, uh, connect the dots. Yeah, he's not happy. He's not happy here. Maybe. Uh, maybe he's not happy here. Maybe he likes the cape. I don't know. I, I, he likes the cape? What well, I'm just saying, you know. No, I, I get it. I, well, I, I do get it because, like, you know, when you have the chief of police wanting to transfer out, it always looks like, oh, well, it must be because it's, you know, such a, oh, it must be because it's such a nightmare in this place that they want to get out. Why do they want to get out? I mean, there could be other reasons behind that. You look at what happened with um, Thomas Anderson when he left the school department. Um, I think there were some arguments that, oh, yeah, he's, you know, like uh, leaving some, you know, the, he's leaving the school department because who would want to be here? But he actually just had an opportunity that he, that he had preferred more. And it wasn't. Well, he, well, his opportunity was he went to East Hartford where he, that's where he was born and raised. Yeah. He's basically he's going back home, but that's different because we know that uh, police chief, uh, uh, the, the former uh, Joseph Cadero was being micromanaged by the mayor so much so. That one time we were supposed to meet up with a city council and a public safety committee, uh, which uh, Brian Gomes. Uh, oh, I remember that. I, I do remember that incident. That was that well, was really right, bad. Right. <laughs> I well, do and remember he that. Made, and, uh, and Joseph Cadero reassured Brian Gomes he <laughs> yeah, would be yeah. there at yeah, the last I, minute I because Hank Turgeon was there. Yes. Uh, he ended up changing, and it was a no show because he received a, a call from the mayor. So, so uh, go ahead. So. Just for people, for background on that, so people, if people, so just for people may not be familiar, because it was two years, that was two years ago now. Um, the chief of, there was a, uh, Hugh Dunn at the time had filed these public safety motions. One was for shot spotter. One was for, uh, one was to, to basically want it calling for an audit of shot spot, spotter. One was about reporting crimes or making crime data more publicly available. And there's another one I can't remember. They wanted to have the, the head of the union, 
uh, Hank Turgeon. They wanted to have the head of the union at the time, Hank Turgeon, on to talk about that stuff. And they wanted to have the chief, chief of police at a hearing in public safety. This was going to be done remotely, and it was done remotely. And I remember the chief was supposed to be there, and then at the 11th hour, he pulled – he he uh, he he was pulled, or he either pulled out himself, or he was pulled out by the mayor. One of the reasons I think they cited was they didn't think well, it was appropriate for well, the chief and the in the in the head of the union to be there at the same time, something like but, but that. Marcus, I do remember that. Uh, well, it, at the time, it, and it, it was, was also stated was that he received a phone call, Chief Cadero, because he gave his word to Brian Gomes going to show up in no show, yeah. talk about crime in the city and the yeah. shootings uh, in broad daylight. And, uh, you know, the hierarchy rule is where you can manipulate the crime numbers. And uh, he said, uh, basically, from my understanding, it was reported on your station was because, like you said, uh, the, the president, the former president of the New Bedford Police Union was there. That there were, the, the mayor felt it was a conflict of uh, interest or whatever, you know, at the yeah, time. Well, that's why he didn't want to be there. Well, they asked, maybe it was because the CBA was still going. I can't remember the exact reasons it was, it was cited. But I do remember how... How how ticked off the the council was that they thought they were going to be able to talk to the chief as well, and then they'd essentially been pulled at the eleventh hour. I remember, I remember, uh, I remember talking to Councilor Gomes specifically, and he was he was pretty upset about it. He was like incensed about the whole thing. Right. So this is not like Thomas Anderson that's going back. He's going back home. Uh, Paul Oliveira, the police chief, he wants out of here because yeah. he does. He will, he probably feels he's being smothered and he can't do his job. I he can't you, turn around without the the mayor telling him what he can or can't well, do. Well, well, I mean, a couple of things with that. One, I, I just I just don't know the dynamics between the mayor and the police chief, uh, specifically with Paul and and Mayor Mitchell. I just I'm not familiar with it. Um, and there's probably only two people that are. That's Mayor Mitchell and the police chief. The other the the um, and I don't know why Chief Oliveira wanted to. Um, I don't know the specific reasons why you wanted to leave. He hasn't said anything publicly. He probably well, won't. Had, uh, I don't think he will. You have you have, you had a couple of weeks ago, last month rather, the the head, the new uh, head of the new president of the police department, Evan Bielski. Uh, Union. Yeah, he was on there. And he was telling you that the administration doesn't want the uh, information to be put out yes. uh, to the public. I do saying that, that it's going to compromise investigations, which is a bunch of baloney. Yeah, Your president that. went, the new president went on to say they do it in other communities so they yeah. can help uh, them you know, find criminals. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, I, yeah, uh, they said they were being told by the, the, the New Bedford Police Administration to not talk about these specific crimes. Well, the mayor, you mean, the corner office. Yeah, I mean, it's the mayor's, I mean, the mayor is elected to be the administrative chief executive of the city, right? So if he has directives for the police department, if he has directives for the fire department, if he has directives for the DPI, that's well within his right to issue those directives. He is the elected official. It's actually something that we expect from the mayor to the extent that, you know, he's hamstringing the chief's ability to do his job or he's too issuing too much directives i can't speak to that but i will say obviously the mayor's in charge of the police department it's one of the reasons well, people vote for their mayor that, marcus marcus that's elementary we know that but i'm just saying when you have a police chief like uh the new police chief that's looking elsewhere for a job there's uh underlying currents to me it looks like you know he's had it and he wants out yeah. now you know we could say well it's uh, the city is very busy in Falmouth's probably not, you know, as much as uh, as the city Could of New be Bedford. But I'm just telling key. you, it doesn't look good. 
Yeah, it's not a well that that I agree with for sure. Um, it's always optically optically doesn't ever look good when you got a chief executive like that that wants to that that's, that's trying to transfer out no matter what the reasons may be whether it be because maybe he wants to go to a smaller town like Falmouth maybe he likes the Cape I don't know maybe he goes well, well, to, well, but, one more you know, thing Marcus. I don't know what I'm seeing how, how long has he been there about a year and a half uh. Uh, Chief Cadero left it about. Chief Cadero left shortly after that whole thing. It was like end of. It was like summer of 2021, spring of 2021. Right. So let's say two years for the sake of conversation. You know. So he's been here a short yeah, period it's of time. Definitely, and now it's, he wants it's been out. Two years. Right. So two years, short period of time. Now he wants out. Now if he was there ten years, you say, oh, he wants. I mean, he's been with the department yeah. a long time because he right, was the well, he was the deputy chief before he was the chief. Right. 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 But I'm just saying, an administrative position like he is now, the police chief. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside the maze, the head of the police department. Yeah, but I'm yeah. saying, uh, two years, and now he wants out. You know, where uh, maybe there is some truth to the micromanagement of the mayor. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's not an unreasonable conclusion to draw. I just don't. You know, I, like I said, I'm just not. I'm just not familiar with the specifics. But I do say, obviously, it does. You know, optically, it doesn't look like it doesn't look great. But right, because you know, let's know. say, for example, Marcus, the police chief was in there for ten years and now wants to change the scenery. They yeah. say, you know, ah, eh, you know, he maybe he's close to retirement. But Chief Oliveira hasn't been the chief for that long. But he's been there for he's been at the New Bedford Police Department in a higher ranking position. He's been there for a long time. That's how he became the chief. I understand. He wasn't an outside hire, so he's you know he's been there for a while. Well, you worry, right? I understand that, but I'm saying him. But but he's the head of the police department outside the mayor, obviously. But uh, you know, it kind of. Wait, the rumblings you've been hearing from the previous chief and the no one, this micromanaging thing, there might be something to it. That's all I'm saying. It could be. I don't think we'll ever, um, we might never get the full picture of that because I don't, I don't expect, you know. That- we, def- we, we definitely need to clean up the crime problem. Uh, it's like I told, uh, I think it was Tim this morning, yeah. a very well-written uh, speech by the mayor, you know, uh, had various layers to it. Yeah. You know, like a layer cake. And I, I have exception to some of the things that are stated there, including the crime in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mayor admitted it himself there was one typo because I listened to the broadcast. Yeah, we, we played uh, it here on WBSM. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, my question to you is did he write it himself or did he have somebody else write it and, uh, and do the, the final draft? Um, I. What the the speech? The speech. It was real. Well oh, he wrote written. it himself. Yeah. No. You I, sure about that? Yeah. We talked. I mean, I talked to him. He was in studio with with Chris and me. Um, he was in studio with Chris and me. Uh, uh, um, like the week a week ago or two weeks ago, and he he'd, he'd said that he he told us that after he's he was going to write. He's he he writes it himself. I mean, a lot of times when you have speeches like that, yeah, you have comms people and all that that may have they may double check and but if you're if you're you know. Maybe his wife proof proofread it and made it some corrections. I, I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe his wife's a smart person. He's got smart right. people well, around him. He's say, got a chief of staff. He's got a, say, he's got communication staff. So maybe they did. But Marcus, let me just say, to the mayor's credit, he did a well. He did it was well written. Yeah, he had it was layered, uh, and it, he described everything you know line by line. But let me just say, in full disclosure, I don't believe everything that he wrote. But I'd give him an A plus for the structure of his speech. 
Hey, I appreciate the call. Thank you very All right, much. Marcus, you have a- All right, 508-996-0500. Good evening. Hello. Yeah, hello. What's up? Uh, not much. Uh, that's the guy called Booberry. Remember when we were kids, that commercial Booberry and Frankenberry? The, the, the cereal? Yeah, I'm not insulting the guy. I mean, I don't agree with everything he says, but um, I do enjoy listening to him sometimes. But he just reminds me of that ghost on that cereal box, his voice. Yeah. Anyway, no offense. I mean, I'm not insulting him or anything like that. Um, I read something very interesting. Both Biden and Trump are very unpopular right now. Yeah. Meaning people would prefer somebody else than either one of those two. Mm-hmm. That's what, that was the opinion in 2020 as well, but that's just not the reality. No, no I don't know what's going on. Um, what's up with that Kennedy guy? How's he doing? Yeah, I don't think that's a serious campaign. Uh, I don't just don't think he's he's running a serious campaign or seri- he's mounting a serious challenge against Joe Biden. They're not even entertaining it. They're not even holding debates. They already committed that they're not holding debates. Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. I mean, that's just the way it is. Oh, God. Flip a coin. Hey, I got to take another call. I appreciate it. 508-996-0500. Good evening. Good evening, Marcus. How's it going? Good. Great. Uh, the the reason I'm calling in, Marcus, is you're rattling my cage. Why is that? Uh, th- th- this is not to get into an argument with you whatsoever. I listened to your entire monologue. Okay. The impression the impression that I'm getting is that the new sheriff Paul Rowe would like to make uh, the Bristol County House of Corrections more prisoner friendly. That's my impression. Yeah. Sure. And and I don't know, and I don't have an exact number, perhaps you do, that like a quarter of a million dollars in damages is making it more prisoner-friendly. Well, I mean, he's, it's, it's a, these things do happen. There was a million dollars in damages in the Easter riot in in 2001. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing, I'm just saying I I kind of understand the road he wants to go down. I get yeah. it. I've heard, him, I've heard him talk about how uh, they want to have a job fair. I believe it came and went already. I think it was April 25th. It they did. went to a job, yeah. a job fair. It did. I don't know if they if they got any successful candidates. I'm not sure. I, but, I'm not sure on the job fair. I know he said the recruiting class was increased. It was six when he first started. Now it's 25. Um, so the okay. recruiting classes are a little bigger. Sure. I mean, I hope I hope they're going in the right direction. Don't get me wrong. Of course. But I gotta I, I gotta ask you this question because I actually called in during the debates last November. Uh-huh. The, the question I want to know: My understanding is that Sheriff Peru has a um, he's got a correctional uh, he's got a correctional facility background. Am I correct? He, yeah, he, he, he yeah he he worked in the Philadelphia jails. He worked for the Massachusetts Part Department of Correction. He also uh, consulted for uh, consulted for jails and stuff before he became a state okay. rep. Yeah. So. Okay. My my question is: Was Sheriff Perot was he administrative or was he directly involved with the the, the, the prisoners himself? 
Um, I know that that was a point of contention. I, I can't. He was. I know a lot of what he did was uh, data, right? In in the Philadelphia jails, I yeah. think he did have. I think he did have actual inmate contact, though. I, I believe he talked. To, I think he did talk about him having contact with the inmates in in in, in that in that yeah. pursuit in the in whatever job responsibilities he had. Yeah. I, I, in in Philadelphia, in mass, and for the mass DOC, I think he was doing more. I think administrative data collection stuff. Okay. Uh, Marcus, I appreciate your time. I'm just trying to figure the whole thing out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, it's 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 one of those things. He's trying to move these inmates. They're resistant to that change, and that happens. Uh, this does – these things do happen. Um, I think well, – you know what? I, 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 I believe that uh, the new sheriff was sincere in what he was trying to do. I think he was trying to advance everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, obviously it just – it went awry. It just – it. It just didn't, you know, and what happens going forward, I guess, what I'm saying, you know. Well, I think he's going to, you know, the ultimate goal of that, of that move was to, you know, the ultimate goal, he wanted the, those, those units empty so he could retrofit them and now they're empty. So, um, they're going to move on that. They're going to move on the other ones. And I guess, you know, you hope when they move those other people to uh, retrofit, uh, to, to lock, put locks and toilets on the other units that they don't respond similarly, I suppose. Um, I'm trying. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the whole thing. But thank you for your time, Marcus. Anytime. Thanks. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. I got to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Marcus Farrow. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can join me. We'll also take your messages on the WBSM app. Uh, so yeah, um, at that. Um, I'll, I'll be able to sh- I'll be able to share those pictures once I get them from my can uh, get them from my camera. So when you when you go beyond the secure perimeter of the jail, you can't have cell phones and all that. So I have to upload that that stuff from my camera. I just haven't done that. And the voice recorder. I just haven't been able to do that yet. Just um, I haven't been able to do it. I used to remember when I was uh, uh, practicing criminal defense, I used to have to check in all this stuff in the locker and it was a huge pain. Um and the waiter, you have to wait around sometimes. You don't have your phone to fiddle around with. You know, just got to doodle on your notepad until uh, your client gets there or uh, until they let you leave. But, uh, yeah, so that was basically the summation of, of what it went down at the Bristol County Sheriff's Office. Uh, where do you, you know what uh, today at the at the House of Correction and the incident that you know they're they're hoping to get that video released as soon as possible. Obviously, again, they got to go through the proper channels, get the D, you know the DAs and all that other stuff. So this this like the ICE incident is going to be the handheld cam footage. It's not going to be the it's not going to be it's the handheld cam footage. It's not going to be the um the security camera stuff. So we'll, we'll um. I'm looking forward to being able to look at that a little bit more. But they are asking for money from the state. That's one of the reasons he invited invited all the members from the delegation and all that uh, for, uh, I think, an additional $5 million to put locks on all the doors, uh, you know, and, and toilets and all the cells of all the units that don't have locks on doors and toilets and cells. He said that that was always – said it was a really bad design for a prison and one that's, I guess, unique to the Dartmouth House of Correction, one that he's – hoping to resolve he seemed to be you know what he said was with the budget you know he you know they had asked him five million dollars is quite a bit he goes then he turns to tony cabral he goes tony how much is the budget and he said uh 60 billion he goes and tony said 56.2 billion and so he said see you know we you know he said we can you know i in hero said he's i was a state rep we can spend money on every he goes we can we we can 
spend money on anything but not everything. It's a matter of priority because I think this should be a priority. It's something that's unique to Bristol County, too. It's not something the other sheriff's offices are going to demand, and he's hoping that's going to get done at some point. So 508-996-0500. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. 1420 WBSM, New Bedford's new stock station. Transitioning out of the military, it's difficult. Just about everything around you changes. I would get phone calls that brothers were dying. Some of them to suicide. And I'd found myself in another cold cemetery. And I started to wonder if I was next. It's a struggle to know that you're facing challenges, but not be ready to face them. Sleep doesn't come easy. And when it comes, it doesn't last long. You're tired all the time. I didn't reach out for that help, but thank God my wife did. She got me registered for Wounded Warrior Project, talking to somebody that would listen to me and understood my story, helped me realize that it was time to change. There's a new fight. There's a new mission, and that's something I am eternally grateful for. See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. Veterans and their families are popular targets for financial fraud. Scammers may try to defraud you through misleading commercials, emails, texts, cold calls, or online ads. They may even pose as someone from VA or an organization providing discounts on fees for services. But VA will never charge you for processing a claim. Do not provide your personal information to anyone other than a VA-accredited representative. To find a representative near you, visit va.gov forward slash find dash red. When I grow up, I want to be a doctor because that's a really important job. I would hope kids get better and make everything super fun. I'd have a cool waiting room with games, toys, and a huge TV. If your child is sick over and over again, it could be PI, a serious defect of the immune system. Early testing gives children a chance to dream. And I'll give every kid a cherry lollipop because that's the best flavor. Jeffrey Modell Foundation, helping children reach for their dreams. Visit info4pi.org. You never know who will call in the South Coast tonight. But they want to hear from you most of all. Call 508-996-0500. Or use the WBSM app to send an app, chat, text message, or leave voicemail. Welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500. In the 9 o'clock hour, New Bedford City Councilor at Large, Ian Aver, is going to be joining uh, us to respond to the State of the City address and talk about um, some of the goings on. So we'll talk to Ian at uh, on the other side of the nine o'clock hour. So you're going to want to stay tuned with that. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Going to take one more break and we'll finish out the hour strong. <laughs> Welcome back uh, again. We're going to have New Bedford City Councilor Ian Aver joining us in the nine o'clock hour. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. He's going to talk about the state of the city and what he thought about it and uh and we'll yeah we'll have a good discussion on that we'll take your app chat messages and we'll take your calls 508-996-0500 that's how you can join us this evening take your messages on the app chat and uh, i'll see you on the other side of the nine o'clock hour with new bedford city councilor uh ian Aver. so you're going to want to stay tuned um because i think he's going to have a lot of interesting stuff to say about mayor mitchell's state of the city address. Uh, and then after I can take your calls at 508 open phone lines uh, after the interview with 
new Bedford City Councilor uh, Ian Abrus. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Star Wars, Cinco de Mayo, the state of the city, um, uh, the Bristol County Sheriff's Office, the jail. Um, nothing's off limits. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Some things are off limits. Use your discretion. <laughs> but I'll talk to you guys uh, at the other end of the nine o'clock hour. Stay tuned. You're going to hear the state, the the national news from our uh, friends over at ABC, and then you're going to hear the local news from our friend Kate Robinson and Phil Devitt. Uh, um, after after that, and then we'll be joined by New Bedford City Councilor Ian Abreu. So five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred, and I'll see you on the other side uh, with uh, Councilor Abreu.